This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. It's the long-awaited Amandine. Random commentary and misguided wisdom is kindled. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast that also dabbles in books, movies, gaming, and the lore of Ronald. This is episode number 68. Yes, it only took 68 episodes to record some of the foul... Uh, special effects uh, in my lead-in and let me know if this one sounds better now it only took like 10 minutes so just goes to show if you procrastinate for several years it's all the sweeter when you finally do get around to something that you've been meaning to do i am your host brag of the lonely mountain the sultan of shield swipe the earl of aggro bustling adventure versed in yesteryear wanderer of middle earth and spinner of a good yarn not to mention dwarf of ill repute Broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ in the Rabbit Cave, south of Stangard. And for those of you who didn't know it was there, I am one of you. I am standing at the bottom on the south side of the river in the Wailing Hills. And as I look across the river, I see a, an escarpment of, of uh, rock cliff face sheer raising almost... 20 times my height. There are some trees poking up over the edge. Uh, there's a, a more distant hill up and to my right where I can see the bottom tower of Stangard towering over me. And just the highest parapet of uh, one of the houses on the other side of the wooden blockade. And as I look way down to the left, I can see some tall pines sticking up from Limlight Gorge. And here is the Rabbit Cave of Stangard. And uh, if you're on the other side, you can see there's a little grass clearing on this side of the river, but it doesn't look like it goes anywhere, and it doesn't look like there's any reason to go over here. But if you cross and go up, there's a little bump out of rock that hiding the entrance to what is the Rabbit Cave of Stangard. And as I walk inside, I see drapery of uh, some kind of um, vegetation hanging down from above, filled with flowers. There are purple flowers on the ground. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven rabbits in my view, varying colors and sizes. Most of them gray. There are some white and brown ones. They're kind of flitting hither and thither, probably out for their evening sylphle. For those of you who have read Watership Downs, and there is a. Uh, there's a ramp up on the right-hand side of rock. Goes around a curve and another ramp. Look, a spiraling ramp of rock. On the side wall, there's trees flitting about. And how are all these things growing in here? Well, if you look, the top of the rocks is open to the sky. And at the very top, sitting on top of what looks to be almost a, 
I guess it's a rock, but it looks like a flat, comfortable rock, almost like a little bed, is a white rabbit in the middle of it all, bigger than everybody else, obviously mama rabbit, responsible for all these little guys, sitting amongst the mushrooms. And it's a pretty little cave. And I had never been here until I followed the instructions of the anniversary scavenger hunt, which we will talk about in more detail in my next beacon. And given that it's been so long, geez, I feel badly. All you viewers out there that have had nothing to view for this last month, I'm sorry. Summer calendars and so forth is all I can say. And uh, it's probably going to be in a couple weeks before my next broadcast. So I hope you enjoy this one greatly. Let's move on to our next beacon. Ilanok, a review of our agenda. Well, as usual, we'll deal first with a lot of CRAP, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Last time out, we offended crafting alts, little mermaids, mortar music lovers, merry-go-round operators, carnies in general, really, and probably some elves, uh, which I think pretty much qualifies a bunch of carny operators when you think about it. And to all those that were offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. Uh, viewer comments, agree to disagree, and no iTunes reviews, so ding, 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 the last review of the podcast was still left by No Nicknames Allowed on March 9th, 2017, and he currently has our high score. If you want to join this illustrious vacuum of your viewers, then I don't even need to continue this sentence at all. Uh, viewer feedback, a few folks tweeted some appreciation for my song parody last week, including Juice and Fred Alas. Thanks for the shout-out, boys. I'm hoping that the Broadway musical adaptation of The Alt Who Has Everything will be underway shortly. Out in the Twitter sphere, uh, I have some comments here that I started to jot down, and you can see how long they've been sitting, waiting for me to get time to podcast. Um, I can't think of anything huge that I've been reading about on Twitter, except uh, this comment's a couple weeks old, but the outpouring of appreciation for Roger Moore after his passing, I think at the ripe old age of... I want to say he was 82. I hope it wasn't 92. I think it was 82, uh, which isn't bad, which isn't bad. My thoughts on Roger Moore. First of all, he was the Bond that I grew up with. Um, you know, I later came to appreciate Sean Connery by moving backwards in the catalog and seeing um, all the things that, uh, all the movies that led to Roger Moore's. But, uh, you know, I know Roger Moore is sometimes, people look at him with, uh, with mixed emotions uh, some people like the more serious side of Bond that's been brought out by people like uh, Roger Craig, uh, not Roger Craig, Craig, you know, the latest Bond, whatever his name is, I can't think of it right now, Daniel Craig. <laughs> Roger Craig wouldn't have made a very good Bond, that high knee action. Um, Daniel Craig and, uh, you know, to some extent, some of the other more recent Bonds have brought a more serious edge. Roger Moore definitely had the most whimsical take on Bond from time to time. He could be a man of action when he needed to, but he was quick with the quip and with the puns, with the female names, and a lot of other subjects as well. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, again, it was the Bond I grew up with. It was the only one I knew until I understood some of the other Bonds that would come and go. And I still think he has some of the best entries in the catalog, including two of my favorites, Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun. The Man with the Golden Gun, of course, starring the inimitable Christopher Lee, uh, Saruman, which brings us back to Lotro. See how we all tie it in there? Uh, and the role of Scaramanga. 
so those are two of my favorite Bond movies. And uh, I have to say, it's pretty amazing that Roger Moore inherited the role at age 45 and still was the most prolific Bond, weighing in with seven movies, uh, which is the most of any Bond to date still to this day, um, from the age of 45 on. So uh, very impressive indeed. And uh, he had other great um, screen roles, obviously, as well. Uh, but none that he will he will be forever known as uh, as James Bond. That's for sure, from the hearts of most of his fans. And uh, I think uh, you know the shout out of appreciation was well well worth its due. And uh, I'm sure I'll be continuing to see reruns of his movies for the rest of my life. In community spotlight, the Lotro Beacons link to a recent song video by The Shades led by Acacia. I took the time out to go and see, and a lot of time went into the making of this video and the song, I'm sure, and it shows. It's very well done, really pushes the boundary uh, for what can be done with some of the instru instrumentation, uh, sounds, and, um, and frameworks within the game. So well done. Recommend checking that out if you haven't seen it already. I still can't get over the volume of Lotro Twitch streamers out there right now. There's a long list of them in the Beacon week to week. It seems like they're growing with one or two new names every week. Um, if I listened to them all, I wouldn't have time to play. Uh, so I know some of the more famous ones, and occasionally I drop in to see what uh, what's like. And I, I think it's great. It promotes the game. There's certainly people that are very interested in consuming it that way that may be able to listen when they're not playing. So more power to them, uh, strength to the community. Um, I matter of fact, I was dropped in on the Tokyo Professor a couple weeks ago when uh, he was muddling about in Enidwaith. He was looking at some of the clan caves in the northwest corner of the map. And, um, you know, as he's looking around the decorations of the map long enough for the mobs in there to respawn two or three times, um, you know, the, the, uh, the logic and the, uh, the, the, the deduction and the, um, the sheer, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Observational uh, level to the level of detail that he was looking as he, as he explored the caves and commented on each of the decorations and how they might have, you know, led to clues about the culture of the clansmen at Enidwaith and so forth. Was uh, you know, I just hope that the devs put this much, uh, you know, thought into it when they decorated these caves as he does in you know trying to break them down and understand their implications. It was uh, it's half amusing and half entertaining, and another half uh, just pure Tokian professor. So uh, if if, none, if you have not listened to one of his broadcasts, I definitely uh, recommend that you go out there and check it out. It's a unique experience in uh, the Twitch streamers that are engaged there, and I guarantee you will learn a thing or two, and maybe have more appreciation for the environment and decorations of Lotro than you ever had before. Uh, what else is going on? Daddy's Lotro Guide, about two weeks ago, I had an interview with Cordovan, otherwise titled 46 Minutes of Nope. And uh, because Cordovan, you know, basically Daddy has all these great ideas about the game and what can you tell me about him? And Cordovan proceeds to say, nope, nope, and nope. So what I learned out of that broadcast in the end is that uh, virtues are going to tier 20. Uh, that was the first time I'd heard that. I've heard it confirmed several times since then. So it's worth taking a look at your tunes to see where you're at. Um, brags, virtues. I mean, I don't need to brag, but just by way of uh, explication. Tolerance level 23, zeal 29, fidelity 27, innocence 30, 
and charity 26. So those are the five virtues that I use as a guard. And if they upped the minimum to level 23, 24, 25, I probably wouldn't mind very much. But I do have alts um, that do have uh, virtues that are right on the dot at 19. And those will, of course, require some additional grinding. Oh, and no more flowers in Mordor. So apparently the flower system was a function, as they said, of the lore that uh, wed it to or bound it to the North Athelian area. That was the reason behind why they created it. Um, again, I applaud two things about it. There are people that hate it. There are a lot of people that hate it. <laughs> but two things I'll applaud about it. One, it was a different form of endgame than we've seen before. And that help, helps keep things fresh. You may have liked it. You may not have liked it. But at least it was different. And it was tied to the lore. You know, they looked at the region. They said, what did Tokian say about this region that we can use? And they tied something strongly to, you know, to the lore of Tokian and made it into a system. Now, you may argue about the implementation and how it turned out. As a matter of fact, Dottie did. I think in the podcast he said, you know, he was, well, I'll call it a mini rant about how monotonous and reviled flower picking was in the community. And uh, uh, I think the funniest thing I saw in the whole podcast was Cordovan's reaction to his comments where he just said, okay. And no other comment whatsoever. I think Dottie got the hint there that he, you know, didn't come on board to sit here and listen to them badmouth uh, the work that his uh, dev team had done. So uh, obviously a difference of opinion there. Uh, the Department of Strategy has also published excellent guides on the scavenger hunt recently, including the final mystery of the scraps of paper. Very ominous, eh? The scraps of paper. Um... And I'll talk about that a little bit more in an upcoming Beacon. So in this week's action-packed episode, we're going to, as always, talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. We'll talk about some of the overlooked and perhaps underrated skills of the Minstrel class. We will have an anniversary scavenger hunt retrospective. And lastly, as always, if we have any time remaining, we will provide the precise technical details and settings that will allow Turbine to eradicate all lag from the game forever. But if we want to have time for that, we better get moving. So let's move on to our third beacon. We stand at Nardal. Let's talk about this week in gaming and or other Tolkien news. Looking down the, the list of games, there's not much I've been doing. I've been messing about with the new expansion in Clash of Clans just because it's fast-paced when you just start building and everything's pretty cheap. Um, it is a fun change of pace from the regular game and apparently will have impacts on your main base if you're able to level up stuff in the new base. Uh, it allows you to do some upgrades of stuff in your main base. So some interesting dependencies there as I work through that. I've been on a bit of a, a, bit of a hiatus from Overwatch lately, although I'm kind of getting an itch to go back and play some more of that. Maybe I was overwatched out for a while. But uh, I think I'm ready to jump back in there. The game I've been playing a little bit more of lately over the last couple of weeks is Shadow of Mordor. Made some significant progress uh, over the last few weeks with a few multi-hour gameplay sessions. I feel like I'm starting to know the map, although it looks like there's um, much more to come past the southern gate, which is kind of guarded by a giant statue figure. Um, and I sort of understand what I'm supposed to do now. I'm up to the section in the main storyline where I have to beat four war chiefs in order to advance uh, this, the main story. 
And um, each of those war chiefs has uh, lieutenants underneath him that you can see in the nemesis system linked to them. And uh, what I've discovered is, or what I've learned, is that if you attack one of the main war chiefs while those lieutenants are still alive, they'll jump in on the fight no matter where they are on the map. So the objective is to um, strip the war chiefs of their lieutenants by tracking down and killing the lieutenants first, then going after the war chiefs. And that's the part of the game I'm in now. I've got one of the one out of the four war chiefs down, and I've killed the lieutenants, all the lieutenants of a second one. So I just have to track him down now. And, um, you know, some of those lieutenants are level 20. I was fighting one guy, and he was healing faster than I could damage him currently, which means to me I need a few more upgrades of some of my stuff. Um, I might be missing part of the combat that would make the level 15 to 20 orc fights easier. Like maybe I should be turning Wraith in the middle of the fight and doing some other things. Um, but I did read that, um, you know, I should be using the environment a lot more apparently. Um knocking down uh, things of wasps, making uh, fires explode, using fire arrows, um, you know, barrels, using cargoer to uh, disrupt operations and so forth. So I'm trying to be more cognizant of those things and how they can fit into the gameplay. You know, my pet peeve of the game is definitely a landscape fight where, you know, you got one guy and he'd be easy and then all of a sudden multiple captains show up at once and one of them, one or more of them are ranged, which is even worse because uh, you got to go track those guys down. Meanwhile, 20 melee guys are attacking you from behind and, uh, you know, you end up running away and trying to find uh, targets that are a bit more isolated. Um, another one is uh, there are some bow challenges where they don't supply enough elf shot arrows to complete the challenge. So, you know, it takes four arrows to an orc head to kill him. And then uh, I use all the extra elf shot that's around and I still haven't gotten to the objective yet. So I think that's a matter of filling out my trait tree a little more. There are some buffs I noticed which surprise, uh, supply some extra elf shot when you do certain maneuvers and things like that. So, so I think that's a learning process, but I'm getting better, and I definitely felt like I made some progress with some dedicated sessions recently. Uh, got a bit more into the game, which tends to happen when you, um, when you double down on it in terms of playtime. Uh, I want to talk about movies real quick, believe it or not. I did go to see the new Wonder Woman movie over the last couple weeks. And much like the reviews in the paper, I give it a solid three and a half stars. There's some emotional moments, uh, you know, where she tells Steve that she could do something and is there to make a difference. And, uh, you know, and then does goes out and does it in a badass way. And there's the fish out of water element, which is also fun, where she's, you know, having... Um, difficulty observing social mores and so forth you know trying to see if she can high kick and address when she's trying things on things like that calling the secretary uh, steve secretary a slave etc it's it's slightly hokey in a few parts and i agree with some of the reviews that said the ending was not nearly as good as the scenes where she is taking on like a whole town of german soldiers etc those were to me more exciting than the final big baddie fight at the end uh, but I totally totally bought Gal Gadot in the action scenes, and the visual style seemed spot on. Now the question is, can DC finally get out of their own way and capitalize on some of this goodwill with Justice League and or some of the other upcoming titles? So let us hope that is the case. I've heard rumors of a Batwoman movie uh, in, or Batgirl movie or Batwoman movie in the development stage, as well as potentially an offshoot of DC Sirens, which would... Um, which would take Harley Quinn, uh, made famous now by Margot Robbie, and pair her 
up with some other uh, female baddies. Um, maybe Poison Ivy and uh, the return of Catwoman, which would be interesting uh, since that one had a false start, obviously, with Holly Berry. Uh, so anyway, a uh, good solid um, introduction for Wonder Woman, and I do appreciate what they did, you know, with you know, proving that the female action genre, even in the comic book world, can can succeed, can make tons of money, and can be done well. Let's hope they follow up. Uh, what's been going on in Lotro? So Bragg has obviously been doing anniversary events. More on that later. All of my alts have been crafting, crafting, crafting rep items for the hosts of the West and their different weaponists, armorists, and provisionists. Uh, my minstrel achieved <clears throat> battle readied and got the Lotra points and gold cloak that associated with that uh, over the last couple weeks. <coughs> Recently, my captain also achieved battle ready. And uh, the bad news on the captain is I just read uh, some order previews that said, uh, some of the older armor sets will be rendered useless with the new update. So there's a new 10-level limit. So if you, uh, let's say you get the armor of the Dagor for your captain out of the Isengard instances, like I know many captains have, in order to get the Oathbreaker's reset um, armor set bonus, uh, there's now a 10-level limit going to be rolled out on those. So once you reach level 85, that armor will no, no longer provide the bonuses or may not even be worn, uh, as I understand it. So uh, folks that are using, you know, there are a number of classes that have armor set bonuses previously in the game that are, you know, valuable enough to hold on to those pieces, you know, instead of uh, trying to replace them with updated armor sets. And apparently that is no longer going to be a tactic. So I understand why they're doing this and I'm okay with it. Actually, I understand the motivation for it, but I think it kind of doubles down on the importance of them having, you know, comparable and or decent and applicable armor set bonuses available at each of the major level uh, ranges that are, that are out there. You know, people go back and get the Cappy armor set bonus from Isengard because the current ones from Throne of the Dead Terror are, you know, next to useless from what I've read. Or, you know, so there are some other classes that, um, you know, find some of those useless as well. Uh, I have uh, my minstrels using two armor pieces from Helm's Deep uh, Big Battles because it's got a you know plus 10% uh, to healing and motivation skills, which I found better to be, you know, than anything else that I've gotten so far. So uh, that's going to be something I might have to work on my cap before, make sure I have a couple more armor pieces ready to replace those when they get ousted with the update. Uh, my lore master is uh, next on the battle-ready list, almost uh, working on that, should have that done in the next couple weeks. Um, he's crafting as well. I almost ran out of battle plans for him, which is the dagger lad kind of, uh, crafting item or component that's needed to produce the host of the West rep items. And that's because I haven't been out with him in the landscape collecting from, uh, from dagger lad, uh, you know, lore boxes or whatever for the scholar. And so I'm doing a bit more of that now to stock up for him. You know, the only classes that should have trouble uh, with items if you're not doing the instance runs are cooks who need the caps of even gleam and the tailors that need the bolts of rush cloth. Uh, both of those are not available out of uh, standard resource nodes out on the landscape. So, um, so uh, whenever I do do instance uh, crafting instance runs, either solo or group, I try to stock up on those two items in particular.
my Berg acquired their gold offhand dagger from the host of the West. Uh, I just got enough sigils from my hunter to grab that uh, offhand weapon, agility weapon as well, which is nice. I just need to build up a few more other crafting items in order to get that done. My Bjorning is still sitting at the warsteading of the Rahirim, turning in tasks. <laughs> and he just went up a rep level, so one more and he'll be done with that area. And maybe I'll move him forward. I think I upgraded a, piece of, a couple pieces of his gear as well. Uh, just to get him a little sharper. And uh, this week, the Fish Unitions run has been um, has been the Sword Halls, which is the fastest run of any of them out there and really quick way to get Scrolls of Empowerment. So trying to cycle through those on my tunes as much as possible in order to, um, you know, get, because I think they're opening up something like 15 or 20 more Scrolls of Empowerment levels per tier uh, for each class, so that's going to be a lot more featured instance running to get all those uh, because uh, my only tune that's completely maxed out on those right now is my main brag. All the, a couple others that are close, my minstrel and cappy are close, and the others that all need a lot more work. Uh, let me see. My champ did a few more waterworks quests, getting ready for the drowned treasury run. Hopefully, to get to the open up the skirms and Moria soon. Uh, RK is the alt that has everything sitting in the crafting hall in Bree. And my warden, I want to make sure he continues to be idle, make sure I forget everything I learned about gambits with him before I move him forward. Uh, in other Tokyo news, I read that advanced copies of Baron and Luthien are now coming available either now or are shortly. Um, just for funsies, I started a Lord of the Rings Pinterest board recently. There's a lot of great fan art out there that you can peg to a Lotro board if you start one up. Uh, found some wonderful Balrog pictures and a, a variety of great artists out there. So that's kind of neat. Uh, neat way to collect lore around the game and or additional social media posting options. And uh, the other thing that's going on is that uh, when I logged into the game tonight, the Summer Festival had opened up. So from the Rabbit Cave south of Stangard, I've just ported Bragg out to the party tree. And uh, boy, there looks like there's a lot going on at the party tree because the uh, scavenger hunt decorations are still out hanging on it. They're actually really pretty. I wouldn't mind if they left those on year-round. They're fun. Uh, and there are tons of people around the party tree right now, so a lot going on with that. And let me take a quick glance at the award. I don't think they have the horse over here. I might have to go to Hens to see what the new horse looks like but I was paging through some of the new awards rewards and of course there are um, available some of the uh, some of the new robes and some of the new cloaks um, there's one in particular that looks pretty that I like of course there's uh, the fountain emote I think I got last time around and the Hobbit dance 4 emote which is neat but there is a new emote for the bubbling fish pipe, which takes 50 coins. I might have to work on that one. Uh, let me see the collections panel if it has an emote. I bet it does. Let me see the collections panel if I can see what the emote looks like. All right, bubbling fish pipe. Let's see it. Okay, so he takes a big, funny-looking pipe, and oh, it's got a oh, he's. He's blowing, the, the pipe is shaped like a fish and bubbles come out of the end of it. Okay, that's kind of fun. And it's an emote. I can see grinding for that. Very good. 
And the other thing is, I went over to the other ward vendor, Quartermaster, and I found something I don't have. A music box called Triumphs of the Dwarves Music Box. <laughs> well, I had zero Summerfest tokens, but I traded in the 90 anniversary tokens at the token barter in order to build up some immediately. And I have now purchased the Triumphs of the Dwarves Music Box, which I intend to go play in my house immediately. And maybe I'll have it playing in the background as we move on to the beacon of Aralas. Here we are at Aralas, and I am in my house. And what's kind of funny is I've noticed ever since I tried the collections panel to listen to the uh, fish pipe bubble sound effect, I can hear myself puffing on the pipe with bubbles blowing in the background, even though I've moved on and closed the panel. <laughs> So it looks like there might be a bug involved with the fish pipe. But I'll just pretend I'm uh, on an underwater adventure here. And I'm in my house. And right now I'm listening to my ambient music in the main room, which is the Summer Days music box. And I'm going to plug it nice, very peaceful. I'm going to plug in the Dwarfs... Triumphs of the Dwarves music box, which is a selection of triumphant dwarf battle music pieces. And let's listen in. Okay, some deep drums. Uh, that sounds like Goblin Town music. Indeed, it does. Okay, it's kind of intense for the house, but I like being reminded of past dwarven majestic battles. Alright, so the fourth beacon of Aralas. Uh, skills focus. Second in the series of my skill focus articles. This week we're going to talk a little bit about the minstrel. Uh, let's talk about some minstrel uh, skills that are not as commonly used and or maybe underrated. And the first one I have on my list is one that's been more popular of late because of its required usage in Squarunk to make your life easier with the defilers there that will one-shot you if they get in melee range. And that is the Song of Distraction. Always one of my favorite minstrel skills. Love people that remember it and use it effectively when you're doing tough pulls in dungeon settings. Um, you can get up to three targets within 10 meters that uh, basically get uh, dazed and don't, uh, you know, don't pick up on people getting aggroed around them or uh, even walking up close to folks. So... Um, as a matter of fact, not even just in battle in Squarunk when you're trying to pull a defiler away from the rest of the group. Uh, sometimes you need some ranger's provisions which are kind of in the front of a room filled with foes. And if you distract the first couple people in the front of the room, you can often go up and pick up the ranger provisions without aggroing anybody and then walk away. And sometimes that's needed to get the 10th ranger provision in the Squarunk instance without having to clear that room and save yourself some time. Uh, Song of Distraction also was very popular for use back in the day with uh, Phil Gashan, uh, where you were trying to sneak by the, um, by the sentry guards that would sit by the big bells and uh, putting Song of Distraction on them and walking, you know, getting by them or using a burglar to sneak by them with Share the Fun was uh, the best way to, to be able to do that without setting off too many uh, alarms in Phil Gashan. 
All right, the next skill I want to highlight is the Minstrel's Healer Strike or Hero Strike, depending on which, uh, depending on which uh, stance you happen to be in. So first of all, there is a buff associated with this for Healer Strike that gives 10% uh, incoming healing. And uh, there's a small fellowship-wide morale heal as well as a corruption removal in, an in addition to a fair degree of damage. So I know a lot of minstrels don't like to get up close and smack the, the mobs around. If you have a good tank, though, and he's turning the mobs away from you, as he should be, uh, running up and hitting one in the back every so often in order to buff um, you know, morale, morale heal for all the folks in melee range, uh, plus 10% incoming healing for yourself, and a corruption removal and a fair bit of damage I think is often worth doing and uh, I'm, I'm a minstrel that is not afraid to duck in get that healers or hero strike strike in there and then duck back out to range um, so I you know personally I think it's effective and worthwhile and not everyone I know does it maybe some others feel differently all right this third skill I wanted to talk about is the invocation of Elbereth which is uh, marked by a purple um, mask of fear that's on your uh, skill bar. This is the um, minstrel's 15 second fear uh, that can save your life. Plus it's really cool to watch the guy run around screaming and waving his arms over his head. Some of the orc animations of the guys that are feared and, and uh, running away are hilarious in my opinion. Um, but you know the min minstrel's first line of defense sometimes is the uh, is to um, is to duck down and lie flat. Uh, I'm sorry. To do a, uh, oh gosh, a flop. Minstrel's flop. Uh, but if you use that when you only have a single mob on you, it can be a real waste. Uh, that's best used when multiple mobs are converging on you for whatever reason. Maybe the tank is stunned or, you know, things are disintegrating and battle's flying a little bit. Um, you know, new wave of ads joined in and the tank hasn't had a chance to hit his big AOE aggro yet. Whatever the case may be, um, yeah, you might want to flop when you have multiple bobs on you. But if it's a single mob, uh, it can be much more effective to use your Invocation of Elbereth and save that flop for when you really might need it later on. Okay, next skill I want to highlight is the Call to Yoreth, which is uh, basically a 100% chance of critical heal on your next heal. Uh, the next healing strike that you hit. And if you're going to hit one of your more effective ones, like a Triumphant Spirit, uh, can be a super effective combo. Um, takes just an extra second to launch it since it's an insta-cast. Then hit your heal and watch your crit make your party happy, happy, happy. Uh, Cry of the Wizards when you're in, um, when you're in War Chant stance. Uh, has eight targets, which is the biggest, uh, I think, max multi-target skill that the, that the Minstrel has. Uh, all of them get min minus 30% movement speed and minus 20% attack duration for 15 seconds. Really good way to start a fight uh, so they converge on you more slowly and attack you more slowly as well if you're going to be facing a number of folks in melee. Um, another favorite longtime skill of mine, the Song of Aid and or the Call to Greatness, which are now apparently only available in the yellow trait line, which I find to be a big bummer. So these, uh, these traits used to be available to minstrels in any trait line, I believe, or at least I knew they were available in healing stance. And they have an individual buff for each class that's different for each class. And so they're hard to remember. I used to know them all when I was using it on a regular basis. But since I haven't been in yellow line recently with my mini, 
um, you know, it's hard to remember what it does for each of the individual classes, but uh, it can do stuff like uh, open a, um, you know, defeat event for a captain, make him battle ready, um, supply some extra, uh, some extra, uh, some extra aggro, oh gosh, for your champion, get him some fury raised uh some extra focus for your hunter things of that nature extra healing buffs for your healer um you know make water lore more effective for your lore master things of that nature and when you hit it off everyone in your party is getting a slightly different buff and making them slightly more effective it was a great way song of aid was a great way to say you know the whole party stabilized uh right now in the fight right so they they don't need any immediate heals and my buffs are up already so you know, what else am I going to do right now that's going to generally help everybody? And that was a great uh, indication to hit Song of Aid to help could you put you over the top and make the whole group more effective until uh, such time as healing was needed again. So I miss having that skill in blue line. Um, you know, just a lot of good stuff happens when you hit it. And uh, I used to combo this with Fellowship's Heart for the toughest part of a fight. You, when you hit Fellowship's Heart, it's a, your biggest heal over time. And so while that was running, you could then hit your Song of Aid. And so the whole party was getting a heal over time and the Song of Aid buffs at the same time and uh, while the hot's running. So that, that was a nice combo to have, which unfortunately is not available anymore. Um, lastly, my favorite thing to do as, an, as, a, uh, as a minstrel is to mentor someone in the use of an instrument. Uh, I like to run up to people randomly in game. And, uh, you know, give them a wave or a wink or a bow. And if they reply in any fashion, I will just do a random act of kindness and teach them how to play a, a pigborn or a drum or a horn or a clarinet or whatever, whatever uh, you know, whatever strikes my fancy. And a lot of times people don't even realize that you've done that. I think there's probably something in chat that shows when someone's done that for you. Uh, so I usually send them a talent saying, congratulations, now you can play drums or something along those lines. So they're at least aware of it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I also like to do it um, sometimes if you're in a raid or an instance and you're waiting for somebody, you can tell everyone to roll and high roll. You just walk over and teach them how to play an instrument. So fun thing to do for an act of kindness for a minstrel. And that is my rundown of some random highlighted skills for the minstrel that are underappreciated and or underused. And with that, let's move on to the fifth beacon of Minrimon. We have reached the beacon of Minrimon, and now for the original weekly sponsor segment. This week, Light the Beacons is brought to you by a new sponsor. Friends, your mini has traded Melody Stance to heal large groups in raids, and she has traded in War Speech and practiced the ways of the Warrior Scold to inflict serious damage to all of your foes, but both have left her feeling empty inside, lost and alone. World chat is filled with trolls, and meeting new people on the roving threat scene is a disaster. So if you're tired of it all and looking for a new way to mix and mingle, try trading in eHarmony Stance. E-Harmony is making history by creating more meaningful connections that lead to fulfilling fellowships, raids, and even kinships. E-Harmony Stance uses a more scientific approach to match you with compatible partners, including such indicators as race, class, hairstyle, skin color, facial hair, eye color, and even origin. More relationships are fostered daily by E-Harmony Stance than any other in-game method. Let's talk to a happy couple that found each other through E-Harmony Stance. 
Hello, friends. My name is Grimer Wormtongue, and I just found my ideal match through the East Harmony stance. And it was so easy. I just answered a few questions about my personality and appearance, and voila. Tell them, Eowyn. Uh, yeah, this is Eowyn. I'm not so sure that your profile picture was entirely recent and or accurate. I mean, the match I responded to had at least some level of skin pigmentation, not to mention a beard, corn silk hair, and blue eyes. A mere trifle, sweetums. The important thing is that we found each other. Uh, also, not sure you're 6'5", even with the lifts I found in your shoes, and uh, happy-go-lucky to describe yourself seems like a bit of a stretch. Silence! Yes, this is just one of our fairy tale endings, so please try our free trial of eHarmony today. Eternal happiness in the undying lands could be right around the corner. Note, eHarmony is not responsible for anything anytime or anywhere. Some limitations or conditions may apply. The Sixth Beacon of Kalanhad. A review of the anniversary events. Well... The anniversary event is coming to a conclusion. Couple more days to finish up tasks and trade them in for your rewards. Uh, in retrospect, it took me to a few new places which I hadn't seen before, such as the uh, rabbit, rabbit, the rabbit den south of Stangard, as I mentioned previously, as well as the uh, squirrel house east of Aldsburg in west in the West Mnet, which I had not seen either for some strange reason. Um, some advice in retrospect, as you're knocking these off, either this year or in future years, skirms and instances can be your friend. For example, running the roots of Fangorn, especially on lower level, for limb-like gorge mobs uh, instead of running all the way out to the Great River region. Uh, running the Arboretum for Hewhorns. Yes, there are only a few Hewhorns in that region, but you only need 10. And if you run all the way through to the last uh, boss in the Arboretum, the giant Hewhorn tree, if you kill all the beehives that are around him, they count as Hewhorns too. So you can get at least 5 for a run, and you can be done in 2 quick runs. I used Heligrod for Giants and Drakes, and Heligrod Giant Rings for Mammoths, and... Trolls, including Girthrig, can be found in Karn, Dune, or Urgarth. Uh, also, multitasking across multiple years can be your friend. So, in some cases where I was late picking up tasks from the previous week, or I had not finished off all three streams from the previous week, or threads from the previous week, uh, I was able to look at the streams and, and do two or more, or three or more, uh, objectives within a single region such as running up to the top of Caradras uh, to dance with the Frostgrims there or um, you know, do something related to Legolas. There were two or three objectives in that area and I was able to accomplish them all, all in one run. Uh, I remember doing a few things around Dol Amroth simultaneously and in the Path of the Dead, uh, some of the things on the East Wall, etc. So multitasking across multiple years can be your friend. Uh, just make sure you look at all the quest objectives in the multiple quests and kind of make sure before you leave a region that there's nothing else there that you might want to take care of. Um, when collecting remembrances, I also found there are generally more remembrances than you need. For example, finding them around the Lake of Evendim, 
I was able to complete that by walking along the shore in Tunadir as well as uh, north from Tunadir up the coast. Uh, but I understand there were other remembrances kind of scattered around the shores of the lake if I had happened to go collect them in another area. So let's talk a little bit about each year of the scavenger hunt and uh, the highlights of some of the tasks that were set before us. So in year one, Tales, we followed Frodo in our fellowship theme. And my highlight for Frodo was defeating fell spirits in the Dead Marshes. Just because I don't go back to the Dead Marshes very often. When I do, I always try to kill the orc roaming threat that's there because he can drop a rare uh, frog friend that can follow you around. Uh, probably killed him, I don't know, eight or nine times. No frog friend yet. But uh, if you ever go back to the um, Dead Marshes, it's worth going a little bit north, trying to find the lone orc hunter and defeating him to see if you can uh, you can win that in, in the bag. He's the only mob, I think, that drops him in the game. Um, year one travels to the towering monuments. My favorite was visiting the High King's Crossing. You're able to uh, get up on the rope again, observe the view of Lake Evendim, which I uh, preserved on one of my tunes, but can only do on the one that where I left that quest open. Year one trifles, old foes. My highlight for that had to be, uh, you know, hunting down some of the some of the old bounty quest uh, villains because it brought back memories of running those bounty quests repeatedly on a regular basis uh, back in the day. And so, going to defeat Rothlug the Drake in the Southern High Pass in the Misty Mountains brought back memories of those runs. Uh, year two, year two centered around Sam from a fellowship perspective. Highlight of that is probably fetching a small beer for Rosie Cotton. I actually forgot where she stood in the game. I had to go over and find her by the Cotton Farm, which is just west of the Methyl Stage. Uh, Tavern Crawl for Area Door, my favorite inn, would have to be the Bird and Baby because of its connection to the... Oh, gosh, what's the name? I forgot it right now. The uh, Tokian's Writing Club, which was called the... Uh, the Inklings, of course, and uh, also houses the in-league secret room as well. In year two, the trifles uh, had you going into the reflecting pools in various areas and repeating Mordrith's fall, especially the dialogue between Mordrith, Lorneal, and Goladir is high quality indeed. Uh, for year three, our tale centered around Boromir, and I enjoyed finding a shard of Boromir's horn in the reeds beside the Anduin north of Ker Andros. The river brought the horn to Denethor. Broken was the quote that appeared on the screen. And in my travels, um, was called Heights and Depths. I got to visit the top of Zurich Ziegel. And of special note, there was a second rope placed to get into Kalos Galadorn. Uh, you know, over the years, the fact that Kalos Galadorn has been off limits for people not uh, getting the rep there has been a repeated source of issues uh, <laughs> as they put various quests to go through there with folks and have to give them a workaround repeatedly. Maybe one of these years they'll remember about that. And lastly, for year three, trifles, this time with feeling, uh, going through some old instances and doing emotes to various villains, of course, kissing Vraz the cook in Phil Gashan was always a favorite there. In year four, we had Tales of Aragorn. So we talked to him in Rivendell to recall the reforging of Narsal, which I've recounted in a previous podcast around um, the reforging of Narsal. I think it was called. I, I forget the name of the podcast, but uh, I did cover that great piece of lore that uh, was not explicitly, explicitly uh, recounted in the books. And... Um, 
and uh, we needed to kill 10 um, mobs in Anumanos. The unfortunate part is that none of the Anumanos instances counted for mobs there, so we actually, I actually had to run into Anumanos in order to be able to burn that one down, so that was a little bit disappointing. Uh, year 4 travels, we had to kill uh, 10 orcs from a bunch of different orc clans. Pick your favorite. The Berthazang orcs can be found in Gath Birds and the Protectors of Thanglehood Skirmish and in the instance of Cornered Foe in the Scuttledells as well, uh, which is the way I finished it. And my second favorite has to be the Gashi High of Moria, a close second. In year four trifles, we got to run a bunch of good old skirmishes. Pick your favorite. I'll say Attack at Dawn is one of my favorites with Rescue and Nurse Gashu a close second uh, as I recover from the 50-plus times I ran it for um, Eld Gang rep back in the day. <laughs> Fifth year of the scavenger hunt is the Tales of Mary, and I got to drink some of Tree Bear's Entraft in Welling Hall with the text, the drink was like water, and yet there was some scent in it which they could not describe that appeared. Uh, I had not been back to that part of Fangorn Forest in quite some time, so it was good to revisit. And in year five, travels, bodies of water, I got to c gather remembrances on the shores of Lake Isingmere in Wildermore, which I had not been to for quite some time. I even killed a war war band for old time's sake. Uh, year 5 travels, more reflections. Uh, my favorite had to be the instance, the Doom of the North, for the interplay between, once again, Mordrith, Mordrumbor, Amarthiel, and Lairdin. It is here that Lairdin first names Mordrith to be Erner, which uh, uh, occurred again in the epic story, obviously, with the most recent uh, occurrences with Gandalf exploring the libraries of lore with you in Minas Tirith. So the foreshadowing occurred even back then that that would be a factor that would come into play in the epic story down the line. Well done, Maid of Lions. In year eight, Scavenger Hunt, we did the tales of Pippin. You notice half of these are about eating meals at various places for Pippin. I guess that's appropriate. Um, my favorite will be gazing into the Orthanx stone on the eastern foot of Dol Boran uh, down in Isengard. At first the globe was dark, then a faint yellow glur, glow stirred in the heart of it, and it held his eyes, and he could not look away. In year six travels, we got to do a bunch of tavern crawls in Rovanion. I forgot some of these places had taverns, but my favorite has to be the mud in Woodhurst. Uh, probably where the guy in the fountain that's getting doused was doing his drinking. Year six trifle is called Greetures Great and Small. And uh, we had to do emotes to a bunch of animals. I think Radagast had like half of them in his tower uh, in um, Agamar. But aside from that, you got to pat a snake in the Shire or next to the Forsaken Inn or an Eastfold near the Fenmarch. And also saw some randomly in the wastes. What a good snake, it says as you pet it. In year seven, we did the Tales of Legolas. And I got to resist the gull's cries upon the piers of Pelargir. Uh, second favorite would be slaying a Moomak, which I did over-leveled in the opening uh, fight of the Dome of Stars. And Year 7 travels, places of battle, I gathered remembrances in Fornost for Legolas. Uh, year 7 travels, this time with Feeling. Um, this was when, okay, this is, I think, the one uh, item that most people in the game will have the most trouble finishing. Um, it was the last one that I had left available. I had to flirt with the Mistress of Pestilence, and it says, The Mistress of Pestilence is unmoved by your affection. 
Most time-consuming of all, Saruman was the last one I had to get because you have to run all four wings of Saruman's raid and Isengard in order to get onto the top of the tower. I tried emoting to Saruman in some of the sub-raids where he appears and walks very slowly away from boss fights, uh, but none of them applied until at last I got to the top of Orthanc. And uh, I actually, believe it or not, uh, Bragg, was, Bragg was soloing some of those instances. I soloed, let me see... Which one's which? I soloed the lightning, um, the lightning uh, raid or instance, and then the next one down the line was fire and frost. And I actually was soloing fire and frost, and very close to the end uh, in beating the final giant, when he punted me one last time, and he punted me all the way back to the door and reset the fight. But I know I could finish it. I was very close. I think he had like 30k morale left, which was kind of frustrating. But at that point, just to save time, I invited others uh, to join me. And with a team of six, we finished off the last three, um, the last three uh, legs of that instance a little more quickly. Uh, but finishing off kind of the, let me see, I, I definitely soloed the rift to get to Thorlock. I soloed, um, soloed uh, Helligrod to get to Th Thorog, and soloed. Um, Darnabagood to get to the Mistress of Pestilence. And each time I got to a final boss, I invited others to come in and join me and, and get credit for it so that uh, so that we would um, you know spread the love, basically. Uh, so one more nice little side effect of this. One of the bosses that you had to do an emote to was uh, Nornuan from the Philokul instance, uh, you know, the big boss raid in Moria with the giant turtle. And as I finished up that fight, which didn't take very long at all, obviously, to, to solo at this point with a guard, um, I looked at the loot coming out of the chest, Emblem of Nimrodel, great, uh, Turtle Shell Fragments, great, you know, a couple other things here and there, second age item for, you know, so-and-so class, and what's this? What is this? The taxidermist in Bree may be interested in talking to you about this piece. You have got to be kidding me. Okay, so I can't even tell you how... I probably... Maybe there's a way to look it up. How many times have I fought Nornuin in the Philokul instance? I think if there's... Let me see. I don't... There might be a way to bring up the stats on that from... What's it called? If you bring up the skirmish stats, no, here they are. Sometimes it lists lifetime kills on some of these other. These are all skirmishes, but they have instance battles here too. The problem is, is this is only going to give me the brag stats, uh, whereas if you looked at it across all the tunes I've ever done, uh, obviously it would add up to much more. Uh, giant Wing, Glaring Caves, Halls of Night, Hammer of the Hall of Landell, Eurobar's Peak. I didn't see Philokul. FG. Okay, it's not listed in here, I don't think, unless it's under something else I'm missing. I'll look later. Uh, I'm going to conservatively estimate that across all my tunes, I've done Philokul over 200 times. Just a guess. <laughs> and... Uh, as an afterthought, finishing an anniversary scavenger event, I acquired Nanu's Hiding Place. 
So he is sitting outside my house, and I can't, I couldn't resist. I had to put it right up, and I, every time I go by, I click on it. So I have a little turtle crawling around my front yard. I gave up on that trophy a long time ago. So, hey, uh, for you folks out there still pursuing your great white whale, I'm looking at you, uh, Draculetta, and your red-painted skeleton steed. It can happen. All right, let's move on from year seven. Year eight. Gimli, I read the book Upon the Stone in Marzabul, and since uh, that is the tomb of Balin, uh, Bragg cried appropriately on top of it, as I always do when I pass that room. A record of the fortunes of Balin's folk, it seems, Gandalf said. Your eight travels were to tombs and haunts, so I explored the ancient tomb, cool layout. That was one of my favorites I hadn't been to in a while. Honorable mention to Lake Colvern and Enidweth. I forgot it was, I was looking for a standing portal to get into it, and I forgot it was a flat top, kind of like jumping down a manhole cover. So it makes it a little e little more difficult to find. And then in year eight, trifles for reflection pool instances, uh, I got two votes. One goes out to Troubled Dreams, which is one of the beginning books of uh, volume three, I believe, that's done in a dream state. I love the effect they put on that with it. And some of the portent that comes with it, some of the predictions from Galadriel, and uh, some of the messages from the Rangers. Um, I thought it was eerie and effective. And I'll give a shout out to New Devilry, which I used to run as well back in the day, trying to win the Cloak of Shadow and Flame. In the ninth year, Tales of Gandalf, I read from the Chronicle Events and completed instance, The Wizard's Veil. Why was that my favorite? Because you get to play Grima. Good old Grima. And Grima gets to confuse people with his little confuse skill, which puts little puzzle marks over people's heads. I love doing it on Gandalf's horse, particularly. My second choice would be finding Gandalf uh, the White in Fangorn, which I hadn't been to um, near the hill for, uh, for our friend Treebeard, which I hadn't been to in a while. And for remembrances, uh, collecting them on in Moria, specifically the Bridge of Kazadum. So... It's bad enough you get to run around to those locations to collect remembrances, but do they have to put a remembrance on both sides of the bridge of Kazadum? Really? You couldn't just make it so that you collected one or the other. You got to get one and run all the way around the room and map the other side to get the second remembrance. Uh, okay. It is what it is. At least you're in Moria. Year 9 travels for Middle-earth curiosities. I found the rabbit cave of the Great River. So many rabbits. And the squirrel house east of Aldberg, which were two locations I had not discovered before. And year nine trifles up for a challenge. I defeated foes. I'll name defeating foes in Ost Alagos. Because why else go there? That is the orc fortress that is way over leveled for Bree. That is north of the Weather Hills. And I'd been there before. I, can't, I think uh, there was one quest at one point sometime that had taken me there can't remember from the life of me what it was but i was very surprised to find the uh highly overleveled orcs for that area and many other of the year nine trifles up for a challenge were doable via instance and skirm as i mentioned earlier in the 10th year of the anniversary hunt uh we followed bilbo as i predicted correctly and Lotro players news comments and we acquired another of Bilbo's buttons in Goblin Town. Actually, the thing that dropped it was one of the little serpent drakes in uh, Gollum's cave, which was I thought was a little weird. But one last button sprung from young Bilbo Baggins' waistcoat. Uh, that was always a great series of quests in Goblin Town. And uh, I called this one and most of the in-game activities around it before it came out. 
Um, there was someone stationed in Gollum's Cave in Goblin Town giving out summonses when I logged into the game that day, which was very handy. I don't have any trouble finding it, but it's still a pain to get there. Uh, year 10 travels, I did a tavern, tavern crawl of Gondor. My favorite was visiting the Scholar's Tavern and Dal Amroth. I had forgotten that was even in there. And then the interesting part was that uh, visiting the Tavern of Lothgobel had some issues uh, if you had uh, completed a quest surrounding it previously. I uh, used a summons from a friendly, uh, friendly colleague to get there as well, uh, but they just fixed that with the latest patch so people can complete that they had previously. Year 10 Trifles was defeating enormous beasts, and the biggest pain was defeating stone trolls in Middle-earth. Only place I know to go for this was in the North Downs. Um, I'm sorry, Trollshaws was, of course, the place I went to for it. But uh, I read later that there, um, that there, I'd forgotten there, there are stone trolls also in southern North Downs and around the area of Meluinen, as well as in Loomlight Gorge. So those are those would be tougher to take down unless you had a group. And I did the Mammoths and Heligrod Giant Swing, as I mentioned earlier. And that is the ten years of the scavenger hunt. I will mention as a final that the final clues to find uh, the prize for completing all 10 years of the scavenger hunt. Um, the scraps of paper sometimes had single numbers on them, sometimes had small digits on them. It was not hard to figure out when you looked at it that it was going to be some form of coordinates. Um, the final sheet of paper, though, you got, which listed the order that you should put them in, like the scraps of paper weren't listed. I didn't put them in my inventory listed in 1 through 10, unless I missed something. <laughs> There was no way to figure out once they were in your inventory which one you got from year one, which one you got from year two, which one you got from year three, unless you had marked it down ahead of time. So I knew there were map coordinates. I knew if I sat there long enough, I could figure it out. But uh, Dodie's Lotro Guide had a great <laughs> had a great uh, had a great piece describing it, which saved me some time. So. Um, I was able to do that. And then when I got there and I found the clues listing the different guys around Middle Earth, I said, well, I could find those folks looking at the wiki and figure this out. But it was already on Dodo's lab, uh, the Department of Strategy Guide. So uh, I figured out the emotes that I had to do and uh, was able to acquire the Standing Stone housing item. Um, I thought it was, I mean, it was cool they had a riddle at the end. Um, I don't mind riddles. I like riddles. If I know I can figure it out, it's just going to take me time, though. I don't mind finding the shortcut and uh, not wasting the time, since it's my most valuable commodity, generally speaking. So, as a wrap-up, for those that only did one quest per week, there were some neat titles for doing all three threads all the way through, but not a huge deal otherwise. Uh, despite the early on flack about low levels not being able to complete uh, all the quests, and please remember, they will all be back next year, uh, I thought overall they were entertaining and generally well received with okay rewards. Mostly pets and housing items, but those are, you know, decently fun and appropriate for the uh, scope of the activities anyway. Bragg is satisfied. Let us bring on Mordor. Well, that brings us to the seventh beacon of Halifurion. Closing time. Sorry we ran out of time to go over the ultimate permanent lag solution. Maybe next time. It's time for Blessed Relief. I'm officially putting a little ochre color bow on the 68th episode of LTB, and Bragg is going on vacation. 
I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at braggsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for Swedish supergroup ABBA. Facebook or Twitter at braggsonofbalan or my website at likethebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review if perchance you're so inclined by the summer heat. I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth from the bottom of my dwarven heart. This is Bragg, son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember... The next time you run a Lotro raid several hundred times across multiple tunes to get the housing item and give up completely, only to have it drop years later when soloing for an anniversary event, don't despair. Light the beacons. Happy summer vacation, everybody.